Hello and a warm welcome to this week's Lancet podcast. Richard Lane here in London, earlier than usual for recording our podcast because one of my colleagues, Dr. Bill Summerskill, lucky thing, is out in Munich at the European Society of Cardiology meeting. Hi, come in, Bill. Hello, Richard. How's the meeting going? Well, it's a very exciting meeting here, Richard. As, as the opening address said, it's uh, an absolutely unique concentration of education and science. We've got about 30,000 people attending the European Society of Cardiology here at Mesomynchen, the International Congress Center. And actually, I'm talking to you from the Lancet desk at the Elsevier stand in one of the exhibition halls. We've obviously very carefully timed the publication of some key research articles in cardiology, timed to presentation at the meeting, and we'll touch on some of those in a moment. But before that, Bill, you know, give us the gossip and the news from the conference. What's going on? Well, there are lots of uh, debates going on. The question of uh, cabbage versus PCI continues. More evidence is accruing, but that's going to be an area for future and ongoing research. And, of course, the question of whether there's superiority of one type of stent or another in one population or another is ongoing. There have also been more light-hearted debates. There was a whole session dedicated to the gourmand and the heart. Bad news for Munich is that in a meta-analysis of over 100,000 people, beer was shown not really to help your cardiovascular outcomes. On the other hand, red wine, dark chocolate, and green tea all came out as beneficial. There's also been the honoring of many leading figures here, uh, a number of important addresses, and great applause to the gold medal winners, who this year were John Martin, Jane Somerville and Salim Youssef, names that will be familiar to our readers. The Harvey Rose Lecture was, for me, the high point of the Congress so far. This was given by Richard Pito talking about changing vascular mortality. He dealt with both prevention and treatment and, in his usual manner, delivered it in an authoritative, insightful and witty manner, which gave all of us much to think about. Just going back to what you were saying about beer, that's slightly ironic given that you're in Munich, and from my memory of Munich, they drink rather large glasses of beer in that part of the world. Well, in the interest of research, I have been undertaking an N of 1 trial, but uh, I would say this has been more proof of principle than dose finding. The interim results are all highly positive and no adverse outcomes to date. I'm delighted to hear that. Bill, moving on to some of the content that the, the Lancet's published specifically for this conference. Some great uh, names of some of these trials. Let's kick off with the beautiful papers. I mean, we call our papers various acronyms, but I've never come across beautiful before. So can you tell us what these papers are investigating? Well, you're going to have to get out a pencil and a piece of paper for this one, because beautiful comes out of a longer title, which is Morbidity Mortality Evaluation of the IF Inhibitor Ivabradine in patients with coronary disease and left ventricular dysfunction. Now, the easy way to think of it is to look at the word beautiful, and the middle I and F refer to ivabradine. Ivabradine works on the sinoatrial node, and it has an inhibiting effect on the IF channels. IF, the I stands for current, and the F stands for funny, which describes the unusual behavior of this channel. So beautiful is all about IF inhibition with ivabradine, which is a proven antianginal agent. Thank you for that explanation. That must be one of the most complex explanations of, a, of an acronym ever. So specifically, two papers here, Bill. What are they looking at specifically? Well, most cardiologists have had a suspicion 
that heart rate is related to poor outcomes in cardiovascular disease. That is, the higher the heart rate, the more likely one is to have complications. The problem is that in the past, when this has been shown in studies like Europa, which we published in 2003, the populations of low and high heart rate were really quite different, both in the degree to which they'd received treatment and in terms of risk factors. In the beautiful study, the idea was to give ivabradine and titrate it to see if lowering the heart rate would actually improve the outcomes. However, in the final intention to treat analysis, actually the composite endpoint showed no difference. But they had pre-specified, looking at the populations who at presentation had a heart rate above 70 or below 70 beats per minute. And in that subgroup of people who had a presenting heartbeat in excess of 70 beats per minute, the ivabradine did indeed reduce hospital admissions uh, for fatal and non-fatal MI and it reduced cardiac revascularization all by about 30%. The investigators then went, went one step further because as I say, people had suspected this association but it had never really been definitively shown. So the, our second paper is a subgroup study which takes the placebo arm here we have 5,500 people receiving placebo. Now, granted, this is an RCT, so these are not uh, the average population. These are people who have sick hearts. They've got coronary artery disease. They have left ventricular dysfunction. Uh, but they all actually have very high levels of risk factor treatment. So in this placebo group, it's a bit like a prospective cohort which helps to understand the natural history uh, of, of the disease. And here it showed quite clearly that if the heart rate was above 70 beats per minute, then there was a dramatic increase in death, in admissions to hospital for heart failure, myocardial infarction, and revascularization. Further adding strength to this was a dose response in that they estimate for every increase of five beats per minute, the risk of an adverse outcome increases by 8%. That's a pretty clear result, so good news for this drug and the manufacturer of this drug. We publish a comment alongside these beautiful papers, don't we? And, and I think the comment's saying there are clear messages here for clinical decision-making then. The interesting thing that people are going to take away and look at very carefully is the patient's pulse of presentation. What this, this study has shown is that just actually lowering the pulse rate in general isn't necessarily going to be helpful, but in people who have a high pulse rate, if something can be done there, we may get better outcomes. So I, I suspect we're going to see a lot more work in this area and that more attention will be paid to pulse as a prognostic factor. Moving on, Bill. Also, see, we publish a paper about coronary stenting, and this is a very topical area. This is an interesting paper. It's called The Leader's Study by, and was presented by the PI, Stephen uh, Windecker. What this does is looks at a new stent, and I, I know we're getting lots of new stents coming forward, and it is fueling debate about which one is going to be best for which indication. But this was interesting because for a long time we've been using serolimus stents. This one introduces biolimus, which is an analog. And not only that, but it's using a next-generation biodegradable scaffold for delivery. I think what's really dramatic about this paper 
is that at only 10 centres in just six months, they managed to complete their enrolment of 1,700 patients. I mean, we've seen plenty of presentations here that have been halted for poor recruitment. Now, this was a trial that obviously was of great interest to doctors. It got patients in quickly. I think one of the reasons for that, and indeed its strength for generalizability, is that this was an all-comers trial. It had very broad selection criteria. So they got a, a, a good recruitment. They're looking at non-inferiority with an appropriate margin of 4% using some hard outcomes. They're looking at safety and efficacy. The composite primary outcome was cardiac death, MI, or clinically driven revascularization, but only at a duration of nine months. So non-inferiority looks promising, exciting new area, but really with nine months of follow-up, everyone's going to be waiting to find out how does this stent perform in the longer term. I think it's a well-done trial. It's a, a moving into new areas, and I think we'll be, we'll be hearing about biolimus stents in the future. And a couple of other things, just very briefly to mention, Bill, we published the Transcend study, which is about an ACE inhibitor and also the, the GISI papers. Yeah, we've had six papers that have gone online to coincide with the presentation. Those will be appearing in the journal for our readers. Also, there were other presentations which I understand are in press and will be reported in due course by The Lancet. The underlying theme of a lot of these papers has been heart failure. Uh, that was so in beautiful. The GISI study looks at heart failure. And this effort to try to improve myocardial performance also underlies Transcend, although Transcend was not done in a heart failure population. We know that ACE inhibitors, angiotensin-converting enzyme inhibitors, are good. But unfortunately, 20% of patients who receive them are intolerant. Therefore, there's a lot of previous research that would suggest that angiotensin receptor blockers, ARBs, and in uh, this case it was tmelosartan, uh, might actually do the job as well as an ACE inhibitor. So that was the rationale behind this trial, which involved nearly 6,000 patients. Now, the good news is that uh, tamosartan was well tolerated. The bad news is that actually it didn't make any difference in the primary outcome, which was a composite of cardiovascular death, myocardial infarction, stroke, and hospitalization for heart failure. But the study's notable because it was looking at high-risk people, those who are aged over 65. There's a, a consensus that what we need to see is more research in the appropriate age and risk groups to help guide cardiovascular care. Thanks, Bill. And finally, just to finish off, the, the two GISI papers. These were both set in uh, patients with heart failure, one of them looking at polyunsaturated fatty acids. That actually showed that uh, treatment with 3.9 years gave a marginal benefit with a number needed to treat of 56 to prevent one death. Uh, and then in the sister paper, it was looking at the role of recidivastatin. Uh, these are people with New York Heart Association grade 2 to 4 heart failure, and in that paper, there wasn't any benefit showed. What we thought we knew about heart disease, we're now finding we need to relearn, and it cannot just be extrapolated from one population to another. So in summary, 
it's been a good conference and a good conference for the Lancet? I think it's been a great conference for the Lancet. There have been a lot of papers which we've been able to help researchers publish to coincide with their presentations. A lot of exciting research. I think, interestingly, a lot of papers that are going to help form the next research questions, not by necessarily giving clear answers now, but laying the foundation for future work. So many thanks to my colleague Bill Summerskill for being our roving reporter from this year's European Society of Cardiology meeting in Munich. Just to say that the beautiful papers that Bill discussed are in the September the 6th to 12th issue of The Lancet. The other cardiology papers are all available online. And for details of other content in the upcoming issue, check out the website from Friday, September the 5th onwards. Much more next week. Thanks for listening.